Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Our reading today comes from 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 13 through 31. And this is Friday, and today I have Philip with me, and I can say a day late. Philip, happy anniversary. Thank you. Philip, they, they, he and Grace celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary yesterday, so that is awesome. Um, and I'm happy for you guys, and I'm glad you're with me today, Philip. It's good to be here. Philip, we got a lengthy reading today, and Philip has some really good points today he was going to bring out from the passage, and I want to have a minute to, to share that with you. I want to read this first. Let's just remember where we are in the narrative. We have uh, Absalom and his rebellion against David. This has been brewing, this rebellion. Uh, we can say really things started with Absalom back when his half or his full sister, Tamar, had been violated by his half-brother, Abnon. And then Absalom takes matters into his own hand. Uh, there's a little bit of vacuum of leadership of David, and Absalom kills his half-brother, Abnon. And so he is banished, he's finally brought back, and there's just animosity brewing in the household of David. And so Absalom is turning the hearts of the people against David, leading this secret coup. Like everyone knows about it except David somehow, of what's going on. But Absalom is, is working this plan to turn the hearts of the people against David. And when we get to this reading, this rebellion is reached its full flowering, and David is going to be made aware of it, and is. Philip said before we came on, probably one of the saddest passages in Scripture, and I totally agree with him, that we've got just a, a sense of deep sadness here of what's happening with David and his kingdom. So I'm going to read today. This is verses 13 through 31. And a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all the servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. And all his servants passed by him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Pelethites, and all the six hundred Gittites, who had followed him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner, also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you a wonder about with us? Since I go, I know not where. Go back and take your brothers with you. May the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will be your servant. And David said to Ittai, go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the, all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. And Abathar came up. And behold, Zadok came also with him, all the Levites, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, 
he will bring me back and let me both see, see both it and its dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what he seems good. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. But David went up uh, the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And Philip, there's so many different angles and intrigue and, and things we could talk about. All the different people that's mentioned here and uh, who's going and who's staying. But there is an overarching theme that kind of got us here, don't you think? This theme of a vacuum of leadership and discipline by David. Philip, do you mind elaborating a little bit about that? Well, uh, I, this is a really sad uh, passage, and it's it's gets sadder as it as it goes. You guys next week will get to do the rest of it, but it just gets sadder as it goes because we have this rebellion of a son against a father, and the father who has not had any discipline with this child, even when the child becomes rebellious, still refuses to discipline him. And when finally it's a, a case of where the, there's going to be all this bloodshed, uh, his, his army goes out to uh, stop this rebellion, and he tells the leaders, Please deal gently with Absalom for my sake, not for Absalom's sake, but for his sake, because he realizes that the mess he's in has been created by his failure to bring discipline into his own home. And he's still feeling the consequences, I think, of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah and uh, his failure to bring his own desires under control, and now he's reaping what he sowed. And at the end of this story, when he finds out that his son has been killed, he completely loses it and uh, goes up in the high room and, and cries as he goes, weeping, uh, Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, my son, would that I, would to God that I died for you. And such a lament uh, for Absalom because he knows that he's responsible for Absalom's death. And it all goes back to where God told him, sword won't depart from your house. So he's suffering those consequences. And the consequences of failure to provide discipline as a parent. I think if there's an overarching lesson here, it's a lesson to fathers and mothers, but particularly fathers who are responsible for discipline. Now, he has another son who's observing this whole thing named Solomon. Uh, he's much younger than the rest, but he's, he's observing, he's observing everything. And later on he writes, 
uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. As I mentioned to you, my mother took that quite literally. But uh, I don't think Solomon necessarily meant you had to run around with a stick beating on your children. But he was talking about discipline. If you don't discipline your children, you're going to spoil them. And, and then you'll, you'll get a lot of Absalom's. That's what will happen. And when I look at our world today, and I see what's happening among our young people, and in the cities, and uh, the lack of regard for anyone else but themselves, they're, they're so selfish, they're so self-tuned in, and they lack self-discipline, and the reason they lack self-discipline is because their parents have failed to provide them with discipline. You, you learn self-discipline by being taught discipline. 60 years ago, my wife and I went to a high school football game in Oak Hill, Ohio. It was snowing, it was cold. I don't remember anything at all about the football game. But the parking lot was full and we had to park on the street and we had to drive away. We found a parking spot right in front of a church building. I don't remember what kind of church it was. But they had a big sign out front. And 60 years later, I remember that sign as if I just saw it yesterday. It said, men spend six days a week sowing wild oaks and the seventh day praying there won't be a harvest. Wow. And when I look out at America today, I see the harvest. We have sowed the wind and we're going to reap the whirlwind because parents have abandoned the responsibility to discipline their children. I don't know if you want to call it, they spoiled them, they gave them everything they wanted, or they just didn't bother, like David, they didn't bother to take the time to teach them not only discipline as a parent, but self-discipline. We do not have discipline anymore in our schools, in our homes. No one wants to take responsibility for their actions. I do credit David and it's a lesson for all of us, I think, when, when Nathan came to him and said, you're the man, David said, I've sinned. We won't accept responsibility for what we have created. And it's interesting. I think we were talking before. Um, Christian theologians across the spectrum of, of both Protestant and Catholics have agreed that the signs of a healthy society would be a society where the church is vibrant and strong and practices church discipline among its members and discipleship. And then a strong society has families that have both mom and dad that are plugged in, that are disciplined their children. And then you have a government that punishes the, the evil and, and celebrates the, the good. And when those things are happening, you have a healthy society. And right now we see a lot of that lacking in America and across the Western world for, for a lot, a lot of the parts as you look at the news and, you see with David, and here's one thing as, as a parent, I would say personally, and maybe this will make sense what I'm trying to say, Philip. David has this sin in his life, and so he, there's this enormous guilt for what he's done. He owns his guilt. He owns what he's done. And then he watches his family disintegrate in front of him. He sees Amnon do something horrible to his sister. Then he sees... Absalom kill Amnon. Maybe David sees in their sin 
something like himself and he thinks, well, I'm guilty. I've done horrible things. How can I hold them accountable? You know, how can I discipline Amnon? His lack of discipline for Amnon led to Absalom's murder, I, I think is my own, my own personal opinion. He lets Joab kind of do what he wants to do. And Joab should have been reeled in a long time ago. And I see this with a lot of parents when I talk to them. There's guilt for their own past things they've done. And they feel guilty for trying to hold their children accountable uh, for the things that they've done. You know, the same kinds of sins. And, and my point has always been, don't you want better for your children? I mean, just because you made mistakes, just because you had a checkered past, you don't want that for your kid. You don't want that baggage of sin. You know what that does to you. You want your kids to have a better life, just like you'd want your kids to have a better education and to have better health than you even have. You'd want them to have a better spiritual life too. And I, I don't really understand that idea of parents being checked out. And, and Philip, you made a really good point before we came on that there's this absentee father syndrome. And, and I guess both parents, you could have both your parents at home, but that doesn't mean they're fully engaged with their families. And I, I think, you know, we, there's a lot being said about the fact that there are a lot of single parent homes and that dad really is absent, but there are not all these kids came from homes without two parents that are causing these problems. A lot of them came from homes where the parents indulged them. And you, recently the scandal of getting the, uh, rich people getting their kids in school by teaching them to lie in order to get into school. And those parents are home, they're home. So we, we, have, a lot of, we have a lot of missing parents that are actually in the house. They don't know where their kids are. They don't know what their kids are doing. And uh, I, I heard something on radio the other day about some lady who, uh, her mother or father who went in and they were looking for something and they looked in her kid's backpack and they found all this drug stuff. They had no idea because they never checked his backpack. Right. They, they didn't know what he was doing. And we see these kids that are shooting in schools and doing all these things. And, and the parents are like, you know, they didn't know. All this violence we see, this didn't come about because these kids woke up one day and said, hey, we don't like the government. It came about because they have been taught that they have a right to whatever they want and they don't need any discipline. And they don't have any, you have to give them what they want. They don't have to give you what you want. And that goes back to the home, back to the home. And whether it's a Christian home or not a Christian home, we're going to see more of this until the parents decide that children have to be given discipline. Yeah. You see it in the household of David. I think this is an overarching theme that you see that this, this is, four years in the making, really six years in the making, where David does nothing about the sin of Abnon, nothing about Absalom. And now we have, he's going to lose his kingdom. And, and one thing I wanted to bring up that's interesting as, as we kind of wrap up today is the sadness of David crossing the brook Kidron and going up the Mount of Olives. And I find that fascinating because Jesus will do the same thing, won't he? He'll cross yes. the brook Kidron. He'll go the Mount of Olives weeping in the in the garden of gethsemane because of what's ahead of him so there's some foreshadowing here i guess of the true king the one true king jesus that's a beautiful picture and i i just feel sad you know when you get my age you you look at it a lot differently than you do when you're younger and i know that 
you know, you can get called a little footy-duddy and <laughs> say, well, you know, you're out of touch with what's going on. But you've lived long enough to know, to see the changes that have come and, and they're not good. And you can evaluate when a change is not, when a change is not good. And I, the church is silent in this. Religion is silent in this. Uh, it was preached. It was taught. But it's not anymore. Uh, we have a lot of social gospel, but it doesn't relate to what really should be happening in the home. We probably wouldn't be having all these divided homes and split homes. And you and I talked about this once before, and I think I just mentioned it one more time. What's happening in the homes, I think, is also a result of the parent is no longer interested in the outcome of his children as much as he's interested in his own outcome. And maybe that was David's problem. Yeah, because you made the point earlier. You said, for my sake. Don't hurt Absalom for my sake. That's right. And, and, and he would have he, he been willing to die and let a rebellious son have his way than to have the son corrected. It says a lot about his lack of care for his kingdom, too. Well, you know, Job really chastises him after all this happened and says, you're making the people feel bad. They got your kingdom back for you, and you're in here crying. Right. You almost uh, lost them again. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, we have to pay. We have to, there, there are consequences to what we do. And there, as parents, there are consequences to what you do. You, you, you may think you're doing your kid a favor by just letting them run free, but there are going to be consequences. Yeah. David is the biblical example. This story shows a tragedy of having to pay the consequences. I think David can only blame himself in this story too, Philip. This has been a somber. We talked about it coming on. This is a very somber reading. A distressing, almost depressing, but... I think there's a lot we can learn right now in our time uh, from this, the mistakes of David. Well, historians have said forever, if you don't learn from history, you know, you repeat the mistakes. Yes, sir. And if you're a parent, you need to read the story of David. Philip, I appreciate your insight today, and I've enjoyed it. Um, and I'll close our listeners with this thought. Think of the king that crosses the Kidron, the true King Jesus. He goes up the Mount of Olives. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he, at that moment, embraces the idea of the cross and the plan of the Father, and that's really the only hope, the only hope for broken homes, the only hope for broken parents, the only hope for broken churches, broken nations is Jesus, and we've got to put him back at the center of all things. It's the only hope we got, is bow the knee to King Jesus and do what he commands us to do. And Philip, I love you, brother. I hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And uh, good Lord willing, we'll be back next Friday. Oh, look forward to it. And uh, I hope we get some more happier passages. <laughs> We're going to work on it, Philip. <laughs> it's going to get better. Well, but, thank you, friend. And thank you to the listeners. 